What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And he swings. Hits it high. And deep. And gone. Still going. Colorado Rockies top prospect list here with a new week on the call up. I'm Aram Layton. He's Jack McMullen. We've been ready for Rocktober. I mean, we, we we're ready for it. These guys are going to be playing a big part in the future of the Colorado Rockies. If those don't listen to the Just Baseball Show, you and I have been on the uh, on the Rockies wave just because we think it's funny and it's fun. But I will say, you know, it is also hilarious that they went out and got Cal Quantrill uh, yeah. for a lot of reasons as well. But I will say, this is a fun farm system for better and for worse. And it might be the most surprising to me in terms of how solid it's become when you consider the fact that they've if somewhat struggled to get success out of their 2020 first-round pick and their 2021 first-round pick, both of which we're going to talk about. That's Zach Veen, that's Benny Montgomery. But at the same time, they're still really solid with this farm system, and I'd say it's you know a lot of intrigue. Yeah, so intro to the top prospects article on just baseball.com um, something along the lines of the light at the end of the tunnel is getting larger and larger. And, you know, I think we latched on because it was funny, like how far away that light was, but we saw yeah. the guys in low a and high a, and it was like, Oh, wow. Well, like they're coming in 2025. And we started saying that in 2021, but now we're about to enter the 2024 season and you'll have the second full season of Ezekiel Tovar. And you assume debut seasons for a couple of guys within this top 10, within this top five. And then who knows what happens when you get a top 10 prospect in baseball and Ariel Amador up in, in the fold. Does that happen at the end of 24, beginning of 25? I, I think they get really interesting really quickly. And yeah. I love the term 2K team when it comes to basketball teams. Like, oh, you're playing a video game. They're a fun team to play with in the video game. I think in MLB The Show 2025, the Colorado Rockies are going to be a pretty fun team to play with in the show. And you know what? Like, that's exciting. And, And that makes it an easy watch in real life, I do think. Yeah, well, it's funny. You know, I, I think in 2026, they could be really electric. <laughs> but even in 2025, I, especially in MLB The Show, I need I need guys with the big hit zones. And Amador, you know, is going to have that huge hit zone, which we're going to talk about. Like, I need all of the help I can get. Also, a fun little uh, announcement as we're going to have a little bit of a card slant on at least one of our episodes every week moving forward here. Uh, We're really excited to be working with Tops and Bowman, uh, specifically on Bowman Draft. And we're going to be breaking down 
uh, pretty much everything you need to know about Bowman Draft 2023, which drops on December 12th. Uh, today, I'll just be a little teaser. I'll talk about uh, Cole Kerrig, uh, who actually will have an autograph in that set. But you can expect full segments moving forward, you know, five, 10 minutes of us breaking down some of the autographs in there. We're going to try to relate easily, actually easily relate prospects that are in that set to the episode natural crossover there, of course, because we're talking about a lot of these 2023 guys as we break down each farm system, because if you were drafted in the first round of 2023, you're probably in the top 10 of the farm system we're talking about. And there's some really electric names on that 2023 Bowman draft checklist. So I know people are going to be asking for that for Christmas. They're going to want to know which autographs to chase, how to go about it. And we've got you covered over the next couple of weeks. And I'm going to make my Cole Carrick pitch to you as to why you should be hunting some of his cards too. But that's for later because for right now we are talking about names to watch Jack and the names to watch are, I don't think any of these guys will actually be in, in Bowman draft, but I am very excited to continue to break that down. As always, you can follow the link uh, with the link in the episode description and let's jump into it, Jack, because there's some fun names that we put together here. Uh, the usual, I'll fly through them. You fill in the blanks and we'll go from there. Starting with, with Jimmy Heron, probably the, the lesser known of the names here. And, and one of the, the elder players, I think him and Coco Montes are 27 years old, but Jimmy Heron outfielder that just had another really good season when he's been healthy He's been really solid. He can play all three outfield spots, a former third-round pick. Uh, he can run 30 stolen bases. Uh, yes, he probably saw the power uptick from the PCL, but he's got gap-to-gap with at least 10 to 15 home run power. He's a fourth outfielder mold, friend of the show, uh, so really great guy. If you're a Rockies fan, go check out that episode from about a year ago at this point. Coco Montes, South Florida kid. Uh, I've, I've known about him for a while. Just a kid that has really always raked and just always played the game super hard. No batting gloves. Love the way he plays. But it really clicked for him this past year. Again, you could cite the PCL, but a three-mile-per-hour bump in his 90th, five, uh, I think 5% jump in, in zone contact, and 10% dip in his chase rate. That'll help a huge breakout. And he was one of the better statistical players in the minor leagues last year. Got a big league debut, struggled a little bit, playing in winter leagues. And I, I think he could be a solid bench piece for them. Kyle Karos, uh, third baseman, finished the year in single A, son of longtime big leaguer. Eric Karos, I, I believe fifth round pick. Yeah, that's what you have right here. Uh, power hasn't totally come through yet, but he walks and can play third base and can swing it pretty hard. So just kind of one of those guys we have to wait and see. Uh, I hope this is, it's always in the names to watch, by the way, Isaiah Coupe. Coupet, uh, Coupe. I, I think Coupet. Coupe makes him sound fancier, but Coupet's yeah. like, a, I'm going to throw it hard and, and, and bully you. So I'd probably rather be Coupet if I'm a pitcher. He's a left-handed yeah. pitcher. Finished the year in single A. Doesn't turn or didn't turn 21 until the season was over and struck out nearly 13 per nine in 50 innings at Ohio State. So another interesting watch. You know, we were talking about how how farm systems have their type. Remind me to circle back to Coopit and then a couple other lefties because I found the type with the Rockies and it's hilarious. Uh, Victor Vodnik, hard thrower. Rule five candidate. We were shocked that he wasn't selected. Ends up getting traded in that Pierce Johnson trade, if I'm not yep. mistaken. One of the pieces there. It just it just hasn't all come together for him. But at the same time, he's put up pretty decent numbers in the upper minors. Three three five uh, last year in 53 and two thirds innings. But you know the pitch shapes just aren't as good. It's it's kind of louder stuff 
then you you really think like almost it's almost like the muffler on a car that doesn't go that fast and the muffler is really loud but you know the car is kind of going 60 that's how i feel with vodnik sometimes because it's 100 but the shape is just flat sometimes he leaves it over the middle the the breaking balls they in theory look good but they're just kind of slower bending the command isn't great um ryan ritter shortstop who can pick it i know he stood out to you i know he's probably one of your favorite names to watch uh when you can swing it for a little bit of power and you you can stay at shortstop and you got a little bit of speed, that's an intriguing profile I'm in on. I know you'll have more on him. Gabriel Hughes returning from Tommy John surgery, hopefully at some point this year. I'm not sure what the exact timeline is, uh, but probably going to miss the entire 2024 season. Uh, first round pick in 2022 was disgusting in college, but you know we, we didn't really get to see him try to put it all together because it seemed like when things were starting to click, he went down with the TJ and then probably the most disappointing prospect in the Rocky system last year, unless I'm forgetting somebody. I mean, maybe aside from Zach Veen was warming Bernabelle because I was really excited about him. Third baseman but it just swung it so well at the at the lower levels combination of field to hit and power uh, with with the ability to stick it at third base, but just had a really tough year. The good news is he's just 21 years old and has plenty of time. Yeah, a couple of guys that I want to circle back on. Hughes is one where, like, I think the sinker slider is enough to make him a setup guy in the big leagues alone. And you don't take a guy like that in the top 10 unless they have two pitches that can guide them to the big leagues if nothing else comes about. So if he is healthy on the heels of TJ, and if I'm not mistaken, he was one of, like, four or five Rockies that got TJ on the same day from Keith Meister. And they were all part of the joint release. I think it was, like, it was Senzatella, Hughes, and two more. And that was late August, early September, I think. So assume he'll miss the entire year. But if he can come back, we'll see if they want to do the starting pitcher thing. Um, but I think this guy can be a helium reliever. Um, Ryan Ritter's fascinating to me because this guy, yes, he strikes out a lot. But in 111 college games at Kentucky, he had 11 homers in 111 games. In 119 games this year, he had 24 homers. Much better environment in the lower levels in the Rockies system, but he did finish the year in double A, eight games, no homers there. Um, I will say, though, like doubling your homer output from the entirety of your college career in one professional season is fascinating to me. Um, And he plays really good defense. Kyle Karos, it's, it's similar mentally to the Allen Jack lighter thing. Eric was a longtime big leaguer. He was a good big leaguer. He is now a broadcaster. Like Eric is so clearly a very smart baseball mind. If your dad is one of those guys, that's just a baseball lifer and clearly a very smart baseball mind. Chances are you're a very smart baseball mind. So the question is power. And I feel like bloodlines may just shoot him up to AAA at the very least. Um, and then Coop it. I think both the slider and the curveball are 3,000 RPM pitches. Like, he just spins the shit out of those two things. And he's so 5'11". Yeah. I love the low-release lefties. That's that's the trend here. Real quick on Karos, too, just pulling up the measurables as well. Like, the question is the power. But you can project it. You at least hope he grows into it. 6'4", 190-ish pounds. Like, with the bloodlines, as you mentioned, if he grows into a little bit more juice, you know, I think comes back physical, you know, after a, a, an offseason, finally kind of part of the the, the professional program here, uh, I think I think we could see him kind of come back to some impact. But uh, leading into the, the top 15, before we get to, to Jordy Vargas, 
<laughs> the le- so the, the, my trend with the Rockies, and I didn't think I'd find. I thought the Rockies would be the one anomaly where I don't find a trend in the system. Yeah, it's funky low release lefties. You got you got uh, well, we're going to talk about two in a second here. But when you have two or three guys that have release points at five two and below from the left side and just like such an unusual profile. And you have three of those guys that you've selected very recently. Uh, There's definitely an intriguing trend there. Uh, So I think it's pretty funny that they love these funky lefties between Coopit, Sean Sullivan, and then Palmquist as well. I mean, these are all three lefties that honestly didn't have the craziest numbers. And I mean, Sullivan did, but teams were kind of like nervous about that release, nervous about how it's all going to play. And the Rockies are like, we'll take them and took them all relatively early. So I thought that part was, was pretty interesting. They're trying to turn it into the bad news bears when all three just happen to be good. Yeah. Like dude, and, and we'll be, I'll get into it with, with Palmquist and, and, and um, Sean Sullivan, because there's just some really interesting aspects to that. And they're looking for outliers, which, I'm cool with 15 is Jordy Vargas. I've seen this is kind of a polarizing prospect, I think, Um, and and not in the way that like, oh, people are really fighting over Jordy Vargas. I've just seen him ranked really high. uh, And then I've seen him kind of ranked kind of kind of low for me. I'm probably on the lower side. I mean, still 50 top 15 prospect in the system, but I I don't know. It's electric. You see him see a six two wiry he's got that that build where you're like okay he can kind of just bully you overpower you like a lot of the things that people like are these like shorter electric you know wiry pitchers but the fastball shapes kind of inconsistent there were times where it was outlier where he's getting 18 and 16 which i've like almost never seen that's like right and carry uh but at the same time an arm side run but then at the same time i've also seen a lot of dead zone fastballs and if you look at the overall numbers on the heater it Got, got hit somewhat hard, 93 to 95. Hammer of a curveball. And that's the pitch that I think can really get him to the big leagues. It could be a plus pitch, but he only landed at first strike around 54% of the time. And then he mixes in a changeup that flashes average, but again, 52, 53% strike rate. So you have a fastball that doesn't get a ton of whiff, but has potential to be above average. You have a curveball that is inconsistent, but flashes plus, And a changeup that can be a third pitch, but is inconsistent. So, you know, you're, you're just kind of waiting for it to come together here with Vargas. The good news is he's he's still very young. They, I, I think if they were if people listening right now were playing a drinking game where it was take a shot every time you hear the term inconsistency, like we're going to be drunk at the end of the Jordy Vargas conversation because he has inconsistency with each of his three pitches. It seems where it's inconsistency yeah. with shape on the fastball and then inconsistency with command on the curveball and changeup and tallying your number of times saying inconsistent and my number of times, I, mm-hmm. I think someone's getting their stomach pumped right now. Yeah. Well, and then unfortunately you had the inconsistency of staying on the field because yeah. he, he went down with an injury uh, and we, we didn't get to see him pitch beyond July or July 1st. So some flashes and actually that July 1st start was, was really good. Uh, but in low A, you know, it's kind of hard to peg and, and and fighting himself in a lot of these spots. Has the potential to be a, a solid arm. It could come together for him. He just turned 20 years old two weeks ago. Uh, but right now, just there's not enough for me to be able to say, oh, he can ride that fastball to success or, oh, he can just ride that curveball to success because of what you said. You know, the I word in too many different departments of his arsenal and and 
you know, just his overall uh, profile, uh, if, if that makes sense. Moving into number 14, this was a tough guy to rank, Jack. And, and I'm, I'm really interested to hear your thoughts on this because Hunter Goodman, unbelievable year last year, unbelievable year the year before that. In fact, if you date it back to the start of the 2022 season uh, in the minor leagues, Hunter Goodman leads all of minor league baseball with 70 home runs. That's great. But you know who's right behind him? Moises Gomez. And that's, you know, for those who have been listening to the show for a while, that's 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 like a, a bit in itself. I kept asking you if you believe in it. Moises Gomez, you kept saying no. And, um, you know, here we are. I don't know where Moises Gomez is at this point. Goodman's not Gomez. Goodman, I think, has more going for him. Uh, I think he's a little bit more well-rounded of a hitter. But here's the profile, Jack. And then this was why it was tough to rank him. He got up to the big leagues. I'm not holding the big league struggles against him, by the way. He, it was a big jump, and he was playing the outfield kind of still getting used to that and playing first base. He was drafted as a catcher, and he's really just now fully started to lean into the, the corner outfield and first base kind of thing. But 30 hit tool, and I don't really see it changing from that. Plus, almost plus, plus power and little to no defensive value. That's a big leaguer (laughs) if he hits, and I think he can, but it's hard to, you know, I I always talk about how we we do these rankings kind of like I'm trying to say, well, we always talk about trade value and like I'm not going to trade prospect 14 for 13, but also I try to rank it on, okay, what's their 50th percentile outcome and in, in through the lens of career F war. But I do think that he's a big league piece and I'll break into like some specifics why and how he could fit in. But, you know, you almost feel like you have to like shoehorn him into being a regular. And I think that's why he's uh, outside of the top 10, despite really good numbers. And a guy that I do think is going to hang around the show for a while and, and, and might have a nice career. I tell you, I was tossing and turning on a bunch of Hunter Goodman types for the last week or so. Yeah, last couple of days, because Friday was the non-tender deadline and two Hunter Goodman types got non-tendered. Rowdy Telez and Daniel Vogelbach. And here's the difference. Hunter Goodman is not only more mobile than Rowdy Telez and Daniel Vogelbach, but he's got six years of control and he's got three years on the minimum. And Telez and Vogelbach are due you know, like increasing arbitration numbers. I think Vogelbach is going to make about 1.5 this coming year, and Telez is going to make about three, if I'm not mistaken. Goodman at 700K. I would have that guy on my 26-man roster at 700K. I would not have that yeah. guy on my 26-man roster at three. So that's yeah. the big difference here. And I, I have to look at this guy as Daniel Vogelbach adjacent. The good yeah. thing is Vogelbach is an extreme Goodman is more mobile than Vogelbach is. For sure. Um, but, you know, you, you got to look at this guy as, you know, hey, this is a power bat off the bench. He'll be your backup first baseman. I think if you're looking at this guy as an everyday first baseman, you should be in the business of upgrading that. But I think if you had this guy playing 90 to 100 games as a DH or a first baseman, you can feel pretty good about him being a bench bat for you. I love him on the short side of a platoon. Um, that's where I think he really fits fits well. And and again, you, you like a short side platoon guy. Uh, you like that guy at the minimum or at one million. You don't really like them at, at two, three. And, and yeah. that's why those guys kind of end up being journeymen. But Goodman really crushed left-handed pitching. 
last year and the year before that. I'm, I'm since the start of 2022, Goodman has a 1162 OPS, and that's including the struggles in the big leagues. 1162 OPS against left-handed pitching. Uh, that's a pretty sizable sample size. Uh, I think that's kind of where he can lean into his his strength. If he becomes an everyday player, that that's great, and it'll be you know bat driven. But he's going to have to hit thirty homers. But at yeah. the very least, I do think he can be a short side platoon guy with the ability to plug in and and uh, you know the outfield and at first base and and kind of be cut from that Garrett Cooper cloth. But I think with more power, less hit. Uh, but that that sort of cloth again, more athletic as well. So we're still kind of figuring out exactly what Goodman's capabilities are because he's you know kind of flew quickly as a a guy of his type. They they ditch the catching thing quicker than they do with most players like that. Uh, he's he's flown through the minors kind of quicker than a lot of other prospects do with his swing and miss concerns. And you know we'll see if there's anything else there. But I think short side platoon is a big leaguer. That's always a fourth round pick in 2021. You'll take that. And listen, man, he hit a billion homers in the last two years. Like, you need to have this guy in the top 15, and you need to give him a shot at the big league level if he continues to hit a billion homers every year. Rocket for an arm as well that, that can play all right and right. That works. Here's probably one of the harder guys to rank in this entire system. Uh, number 13 is Benny Montgomery, outfielder and former first-round pick or first-round pick in 2021, eighth overall this guy's a this guy's a freak. I mean, he is one of the most athletic and tooled up players in the minor leagues, right? You got a 6'4", 200-pound center fielder who runs plus plus times to first base, covers a ton of ground in the outfield, has a rocket for an arm, can hit balls 113 miles an hour. Yet he's ranked 13th in this farm system breakdown. And honestly, it's cuz he also has one of the more I would say unhinged swings, you know, that, that you're going to find in, in the minor leagues. And it's not just it's not just the the hand pump that he and that hitch is something that he has actually watered down. He has actually made it better. I just saw him in the AFL. He's watered down that hitch quite a bit to the to where it's much more subdued, almost almost doable. But he pairs that with a lower half that is just really inconsistent. He starts wide and he really struggles to, to control his weight at all. He's really heavy on the front foot, kind of loses everything forward. And that's why if you see his spray charts, all of his hits, almost all of them, unless he just like kind of catches something way out front. Most of his hits of significance are the other way. And, and pretty much just in general, a lot hit the other way because he's crowding himself but he's so quick that he can fight it the other way and hit the ball pretty hard. But it's something that would just get exposed at the upper levels. I think struggled to what was it a seven in, in low a or in, in high a this year, what was it a seven ten OPS or seven Oh six OPS. And then he went out to the Arizona fall. league and put up really good numbers. Uh, but you know, I was out there. I saw, I saw a lot of the in between and it seemed to be like taking advantage of some of the weaker competition. He did look better though. And that's something that's encouraging. I just think it's going to be hard for him to hit enough with this chaotic swing. Um, and you've been like throwing around the Sam Hilliard comp. Like it feels like he's like closer to, to the Sam Hilliard type than someone that's going to be able to hit enough to play in the big leagues. But he's also still very young and maybe they can iron out some more things with that swing. But I'd say, dude, you don't think that they've tried already to get rid of that hitch. I'm sure they have. And I'm sure they've tried to clean up the lower half at this point. It just, it just seems like it's, it's almost too hard for him. It seems like he has to fight himself a little bit in the box. So quick question, what is the fly ball rate? And if you have it, like how often is this guy popping up to the other side? Like that, that's what I think. 
I see this swing and I'm like, oh, wow. Like, you know, the term that we kind of used growing up that has subsided, thankfully, in recent years was loopy. It really just feels yeah. like he has a loopy swing. So I'm curious about the fly ball rate. I feel like he gets under pretty much everything. So it's funny. It's it's actually so you have a high infield fly ball rate. Yeah. Like a very so high in but you have a really high ground ball rate. So and that's the interesting thing. So when you're like when you're dragging, right? So you, you're fly forward, you're dragging. The bat's going to drag through. So if it's a breaking ball or something slow, like you're going to roll right over on that okay. and, and just almost like leak right over it. But if it's hard, you're going to get tied up and pop that thing straight up in the air. So he's like caught in between on both of those fastballs. He pops up in the air a lot more than other pitches. And then breaking balls is just straight into the ground I think on breaking balls this past year. And this is including the fall league. If you put breaking balls and changeups in, he had a ground ball rate of 65%. And then on fastballs, one of the higher infield fly ball rates that, that you're going to find. So you just have this combination of kind of just getting tied up, a lot of weak contact, and just a lot of uh, of uncomfortable swings. And that makes it hard. You know, that, that that is really hard to succeed. And it's really just because of the fact that he is drifting forward, kind of just has not much behind. And the fact that he's even able to compete. Yeah. I think is a testament to how much of a freak he is. You combine the AFL and his season this year. So high A in the AFL is a 20-year-old, really. He just turned 21. 741 OPS. If you told the average professional hitter that they have to use Benny Montgomery swing mechanics, they I think they'd have a 400 OPS. Like it, it, It's remarkable that he's able to make it work enough to be a league average hitter, but it's just not going to work against yeah. upper-level pitching. So – how do you rank a guy like that, Jack, where basically everything's either on the ground or soft in the air, and then every once in a while in between he will run into one and hit it 112 miles an hour when everything's on time. Uh, but you have the speed, you have the ability to, to kind of play a really impressive outfield. But again, what's, what's the hit tool going to look like? Is he even going to be able to hit enough at all? He only had three home runs to the pole side this year. Yeah. Uh, most of the other hard hit balls were the other way. Like, where where do you peg this guy? No, I think you pegged him in the right spot. My question to you would be, how does that 30 future value on the hit tool change? And you've been alluding to that. Um, you know, like, if no changes are made, he's a 30 hit tool guy. And he, you know, we'll see if he gets to the big leagues. And if he does, he's obviously really going to struggle. And there's going to be a textbook way to get him out and every major league pitcher can abide by that textbook. That's but, the thing is you can pick him apart and, yeah. uh, and upper level pitching is going to be able to do that. The, the best pitchers on the planet will annihilate him. So a change needs to be made clearly. So I feel like the 30 future value on the hit tool is subject to change. I feel like it may change at year's end, um, but we'll see if it doesn't. I think you pegged it perfectly. If it does, I'm curious what does that look like? What does that change look like? And then what kind of benefits from that swing change? Is it the power? He had 10 homers in a very hitter-friendly environment. Or is it, hey, whiff goes down, um, you know, K-rate goes down, batting average goes up. Like, what does it look like? Yeah, I, I want him, you know, he's a patient hitter, which does help. And and I'd almost yeah, just try to try to clean up the swing mechanics enough, take big hacks, and if you run into... You, know, you just try to run into balls and walk because I just so, with, so you with think every, an improved version of him looks more three true outcomey than it does right now. Yeah, I would I would prefer a three true outcome type for him at this point. It's it just okay. 
you know the powers there. I've seen this guy hit 112, 113s plenty. And, I mean, that's monster power. He flies. He's going to play a good center field. A three-true outcome guy that plays a good center field and is a 70 runner and can hit you 30-plus homers, that sounds good to me. But, again, he's going to have to clean up the mechanics. So it's he's he's one that we could look at and be like, wow, we, we had Benny Montgomery at 13 because if it all clicks – He's an all-star, but I, I feel like the chances of that happening are, are smaller and smaller and smaller. And at one point, all-star was you know 90th percentile outcome. Now all-star is 99.9999999, right? Like it feels like it's a very slim chance that he becomes that, which is frustrating. But he does still seem like he has a decent shot at being a fourth outfield type. Yep. Um, and, and a very interesting one that gets frustrating. Uh, so we'll see. Next up, Dion Jorge. Uh, how much how much uh, research did you do on on Dion Jorge before this one? Um, a teensy bit. I know that he doesn't hit the ball hard at all, uh, but he's just a tall, lanky fella. That yeah. what is like? I don't know. My thing is, I just know that he's like your classic smooth guy with no pop. That's really young. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is just really tough as well here because you hit the nail on the head. It's exactly where we're at. So. I think I moved this guy more than any before publishing. And the reason why he edges out of Benny Montgomery is his median outcome is, is big leaguer. And I think Benny Montgomery's median outcome is kind of like up and down all the time. Oh, well, remember that first round pick? Let's see if it works. <laughs> like uh, again, you talk about some of these like super tooled up guys that have gotten chances and chances and chances and chances. Senzel. Jorge, I think is going to have a really good chance to, to, to hang around how good he ends up being remains to, to be seen. He's younger. Uh, what, he just turned 21 years old. The exit velocities are are very meh. I, and I'd say sub-meh. And 90th percentile of 99, uh, average exit velocity 82, which would be by far the lowest in Major League Baseball. But he's 6'3". And if you look at this dude, there's so much meat to be put on those bones if they if they want to try to get him to bulk up a little bit. And there also could just be some more violence to the swing. It's very like slow and controlled through the zone, which allows him to hit a lot of line drives. And I see an above average hit tool. But you have an above average hit tool, you have a plus runner, and you have no doubt the ability to stick at shortstop. That plays. And I, I feel like there's a pretty high probability of this is your light hitting, you know, kind of bottom of the order everyday shortstop. That's a fine player. I think there's a, there's a potential for that. But if he grows into a little bit more power, I mean, because right now he's a 30 power guy, if he can fill out a little bit more and, and still kind of maintain that agility and that speed, I can understand why the Rockies gave him $2.8 million in 2022 uh, because there, there's projection there, and he has a good feel for the stick. Like a lot of the things that you can't really dream on as much, you're not going to dream on staying power at shortstop. You're not going to dream on a 6'3 guy making a ton of contact. Like Those are things that you just have or you don't. Um, He has those things. So you can dream on some more power. I do think it's a little bit harder to project power for him than than some other guys, though, just because of the way that the swing is built. You're doing the tough work that I could never dream of doing. Like I... I have to wait two years for this guy to, you know, put on way more weight for me to like properly assess who I think he could maybe possibly be in the big leagues. And you're just like, oh, this kid's 170 pounds. If he if he hits 200 pounds, he's probably an everyday shortstop. And like that's just impossible for me to envision because the very small amount of video that I saw on Dion Jorge was, wow, this guy's so skinny. Like he's yeah. he just doesn't impact it at all. 
And, and, and again, like the swing is kind of designed to just not have violence and that's okay, yeah. but you got to hit the ball hard to even find the gaps consistently at the big league level. If he yeah. ticks up a couple, a couple ticks though, I'm, I'm, I'm very interested. So definitely a name to, to monitor with a lot of helium potential. If he can grow into a bit more. Yeah. 11. Speaking of helium, this guy rose up quickly. And, and I know this is like, you know, a college baseball darling for you. Um, yeah. I know you love the guys that just kind of like carve out roles in college and then you know, maybe adapt as a pro or in their final year of college. It's exactly what Palmquist did. And Palmquist is cut from the Rockies cloth, baby. Bizarre left-handed release point at like four, eight, four, eight, four feet, eight inches or 4.8. I don't know. So it might technically not be a little bit more than that. I think but it's like regardless. four foot nine, four foot 10. Yeah, yeah. Which is a weird way that we measure that, but whatever that's blame, blame track man and rap soda and all that stuff. But anyway, 4.8 release height is like, I think that's the lowest of any starter in major league baseball. If he was a, a major league qualified starter and yeah, you could say, Oh, well then that probably means he's going to be a reliever. It's possible. But I watched full starts of this guy, Jack, and Palmquist, so University of Miami closer, was one of the best closers in, in, in the nation two years in a row until my friend Mike Rothenberg hit a walk-off home run against him in the, uh, in the ACC championship, by the Zing. way, or in the ACC tournament. Shout out, shout out Mike Roth. But he ends up making the move to the rotation. And, I mean, he looked great. He was one of the best pitchers in the country. And I think it's built off of the fact that he was able to maintain his velocity as a starter, 6'4", uh, kind of low effort delivery, even though it looks weird, uh, maintains his velocity as a starter, has a good feel for the slider and the changeup, and just overpowered guys. Even though it's not 96, it got on them so quick. A 4.8 release height with 6.6 extension, average average extension is about 6.3. So he's getting a little bit more than average extension from a release height that is about a foot and change lower than average with crazy arm side run. Put it simply, hitters go up there and they haven't seen a Carson Palmquist release before. And that's what you want. You want outliers, right? Your brain can't, the hitter's brain can't comprehend it because they haven't seen it. That's exactly what Palmquist has done, but he turned lineups over last year. Dude, the thing that get the thing that gets me about Palmquist is somehow with that delivery, as as funky and as weird as it is, he doesn't walk people. When he was the best closer in America in 2021, this guy in 44 and two-thirds innings punched out 75 and walked eight. That's 15.1 Ks per nine, 1.6 walks per nine. How do you do that when you throw like a weirdo? Yeah. And as a starting pitcher this year, you combine his numbers in high A and double A, 13 Ks per nine, three and a half walks per nine. If he can keep that number at three and a half, if he he can keep that number under four, I like his chances to be a starting pitcher. Mm -hmm. But, dude, like every single stop in college, 13 and a half Ks per nine. In the pros, 13 Ks per nine. He's just freaking weird, dude. And, like, I love weird lefties. Weird lefties are big leaguers. And and I sent you, like, I think I sent you at worst case, he's Pat Neshek. Then I was like, wait, no, Neshek had some great years. I think he had like a one seven in St. Louis one year. Um, So no, that's not worst case scenario. Worst case scenario is he never makes the big leagues, but you're looking at a guy that can be a Neshek, Steve Ciszek kind of guy where it's just odd. And there needs to be an odd guy in every bullpen in the big leagues. It helps that he's lefty. 
it can also help that he can throw 100 innings a year. I yeah. think the best version of Palmquist is a is a swingman, a hybrid really? that just happens to like go three, four innings and be this great Swiss Army knife. If he can be the first guy out of the pen in a piggyback situation, I'm I'm thrilled with Palmquist. So you think that's the most dominant version of Palmquist? I think that's the most dominant version. Because I, I think he could stick as like a four or a five. And if then you kind of have to make that decision of like what – is it better to have a, a low twos as the guy that you just – like the gadget guy out of the bullpen? Or is it better to be a four starter or five starter? And and that's the kind of the question to, to be had there. What, what makes me interested in Palmquist is the, the way that his fastball plays against both lefties and righties. I was also wrong, but the really said is 4-6, <laughs> so even lower. Uh, 16% swinging strike rate on the fastball last year while filling up the zone at like a 70% clip. But what's interesting to me is you think a guy like that, like, oh, he might have some interesting splits. Left on left, 700 OPS against righties, 733 OPS. What's also interesting is he actually made a really smooth transition to double A. I looked at the numbers. I was like, ooh, the, the ERA is a little bit higher. It was one bad start and two and a thirds innings. He gave up eight earned runs against Richmond. The other three double A starts, Jack, he went seven innings shutout against a good Somerset lineup, then had the blow up, then against a good Binghamton lineup, seven innings, two runs, nine Ks, and then against Portland to round out the season, six innings, one run, two walks, five Ks. This guy had one, two, three, four, 10 strikeout outings this year. Um, I want to see what this thing looks like in a rotation. Like, I want to see what what he can do there. But I'm with you. Like, if he is struggling, if he looks like a depth starter, instead of having a, just a depth starter, you can say, hey, let's go multi-inning relief here. And you've got a dog that is a Swiss Army knife for you. So I love that. And that's why he's 11, because I think it's almost a guarantee he's a big leaguer. It's just what capacity. Is he a middle relief guy? Is he a, a, a high leverage, you know, setup guy, which I also think is very possible. Is he the swingman gadget guy that you were just talking about? Or is he a number four starter? I think all of these are very possible outcomes because of how much swing and miss he gets on the fastball, the unique shape, the slider. I mean, nobody hit it. It's just about filling up the zone more. 58% strike rate's got to improve, but opponents were eight for 73 against his slider last year. Change up was solid in, in spurts as well. It's just about command two. So, I'm excited about Palmquist. I think he's really fun. If he can command the changeup, this guy can be a four and a good yeah. four. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up zero to one grams of net carbs, five to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to hero.co to shop today. That, and I think that's the sticking point because you got to get you got to get the righties out, right? And, and I yeah. think that's 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 kind of the one question for him. And there's going to be a similar thing here now with Sean Sullivan. And Sullivan comes in at number ten. I believe we are the high guys on Sullivan, who was the. I think one of the most dominant pitchers in the country last year, but I can understand some of the reservations because he was kind of used uniquely at Wake Forest. He wasn't needed uh, to because they had some some dudes, as you, you you've mentioned, like he was the 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 Robin to the Batman that was Rhett Louder. Uh, but Sean Sullivan 
I think he was number two in the country in KWB. Uh, he just was was lights out for most of the season and carried that into pro ball and looked real. I, it was, I know it was a small sample size, but I watched his last start of the professional season where he goes two innings and strikes out six, 25 pitches, 22 strikes. And I said, what the hell? And I'm watching it and I'm looking at the pitch data and I'm like, that's why. So I will break all that down in a minute here, but 46th pick, Overall, you know, we broke down the like different drafts, and I think we kind of slept on the Rockies draft a little bit here uh, yeah. because I actually think they had a really nice draft. If you break it all down, we'll get to Dolander and Carrig. But Sullivan, where are you at? Because I, I know the data was limited for you. So like this write-up that you, you were editing and, and we were kind of talking about it, I know that there was some new information. Like how, how, how did you come away from – kind of my like uh, bombarding of like information about Sean Sullivan to you and, and like, where are you at now on him? Cause you can be honest with me. Cause this was a guy that I think made the biggest leap from where I thought he would be to where he ended up being after doing more due diligence. Yeah. I'm, I'm overwhelmingly positive. Um, but I still have some reservations. My reservations fall in the fastball reliance, 75% mm-hmm. fastball usage mm-hmm. this past year at Wake Forest. Um, and the, the limited success of his slider in college. Like I need to see him get left on left. Um, and the changeup is probably good enough against lefties, but a fastball changeup lefty is not going to get it done. At the no, I don't like level. that. You need <laughs> I don't like slider. That. Um, yeah. So I need to see the slider get better and I need to see him not throw his fastball 75% of the time for me to be fully bought in. But one of the intangibles reasons that I'm fully bought in, this guy started his career at Northwestern. So clearly a smart guy and then transferred to Wake Forest, who is on the cutting edge of pitching mechanics and pitching data. So, you know, if you are a, a pitching dork and a pitching mind, you either go to Vanderbilt or Wake Forest if you have your pick at the litter. And he chose one of them after going to one of the better academic institutions in America. So, like, I, I'm bought in on that. I'm bought in on the mental yeah. side already. Um yeah. And clearly, I'm buying on the fastball. It's it's yeah. ridiculous. I mean, it's the fastball, the fastball alone, dude, will make him a a, a high leverage rule. And I mean, like high leverage. Like we we're talking Palm Quest, like seventh inning guy. I'm saying like eighth inning closer type. Like, the, and I think lights out. If if he's just throwing one inning, that fastball, it's he gets seven feet of extension. By the way, which is elite at a five two release height. Right by pure shape, that is one of the most disgusting fastballs that you're going to see in the minor leagues and then gets the carry uh, on it as well at 2,500 RPMs. He can literally tell you it's coming and you're not going to get on top of it. And that's what he did in, in, in college this past year. And that's why we say like fastball reliance. Yeah. Like, and I'm with you. I, we need to see him use the secondaries, but you alluded to it. He pitched two years in college, one at Northwestern where he just took care of business and then one other one. Then he was a draft eligible sophomore. So he hasn't had to throw that many innings. And, you know, again, didn't have to be the ace. So he didn't have to always pitch in the biggest of games. So he could go, here's the fastball, try to hit it. College hitters, hitters couldn't hit it. They just yeah. simply couldn't. And, it, and I don't blame them because it was in the zone 71% of the time. And it gets on you like it's 98 and it just jumps. Opponents hit 150 against that fastball. I mean, you knew it was coming. You got the report. You still can't hit it. So the question is the changeup in the slider. And the changeups flashed really good. can be a nasty pitch. But the consistency, obviously, not there. 
and the slider's too 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 big. It's not sharp enough. It's it's kind of like a bender more. If he can shorten that, cut it, and throw it harder, I think that could be a really nasty pitch for him. Or if they want to try to lean into the big curve, I don't like that as much. If he can kind of adjust to a harder, shorter, you know, sweepy, uh, kind of sweeper cutterish type of pitch, I think that could be really good for him. I'm banking on him being able to find that, given that he's only thrown 120 innings, really, at, at, at any level uh, as an amateur. And, you know, is still so early in his development. If he can find that breaking ball, dude, he could be a problem. Middle rotation, high K type guy, you know, cut from the Kyle Harrison type of cloth where it's frustrating at times, but really nasty. But I love the fallback of closer stuff. If I'm not mistaken, a lot of low release extension guys don't go with a curveball because that turns into a pitch that pops mm-hmm. um, if they are trying to land it for a strike. It's so funny you say that, dude. I like, literally, like, I, I literally had a thought of, I, it's popping out of his hand, like the, the, the jump up. And can you explain yeah. that a little bit for the listener? Yeah. So, you know, obviously you, you're OK. Think a lot of extension and think low release height. If you were doing this like in your mirror, you are almost doing your best Tim Lincecum impression, but with a lower arm slot, with a three quarters arm slot. You're trying to get so far down on the mound using your legs. It's like, hey, let me try and release this ball from as low as I possibly can. OK. You're low and you're way out in front when you're releasing the ball. You might be eye level. So think about where the curveball needs to come out of your hand. If you're trying to bury it, it can come out there and it starts at the bottom of the zone and bends below. But if you're trying to land that thing at the knees, what's happening is you're either trying to release it from higher than your natural body movement should have you releasing it or it's just popping out of your fingertips. And I wish I had a baseball to, to kind of illustrate but, it. I'm going to use but the that's phone. that's what hitters are looking for. They're looking for a pitch to pop. And, and, and when it pops because up, then you then know it's that a breaking ball is coming. Exactly. And yeah. it like spin is subdued and all that. Pretty much what's happening is if you can see my hand, if you're on YouTube, my thumb is what happens with the ball. Like it's just kind of yeah. coming out of your hand as you turn it down. And then it turns into almost like, you know, a, a lobbed pitch instead of a yeah. hard spinning curveball. And that's why those ver- vertical breaking curveballs are better from a higher release point. But think think Andrew Miller. If Andrew Miller threw a 12-6 curveball, it will, I don't think work. it would be humanly possible. But it would anything, not 12-6, but anything more curvy vertical would pop. So what did Miller end up really doing at a high level? Slider. Was sweeper. That slider would sweep because from a from a horizontal release point, sweep's not going to pop. It's going to look like the fastball and then dart, you know, horizontally. Miller is kind of that cloth for Sean Sullivan. I think it's very similar where they're going to try him as a starter. And if it doesn't work, then they throw him in a bullpen and he might be one of the better relievers in the sport. Like I, I really think he's got that kind of potential. Yeah. Nine. You got 30 minutes here for Zach Veen. Um, yes. No, so this is a layered topic. Uh, there's a lot to discuss here. But Veen, I, I said other guys were the hardest to rank. Veen might have been hard to rank too. But honestly, the more I, I watched, the more I dug in. I'm like, you know, I, I can see what can be. I can see, you know, I'm not giving up on the kid. <laughs> He's ninth overall pick in 2020, 640 flies. He got hurt last year. He was playing through a nagging injury as well. But if you date back to the beginning of, of really any experience in double A, he struggled with the promotion to double A the year before. We, we cited that as, hey, you know, he's 
it's a big jump for him. He's young high school guy. Wait till next year. We wait till next year. He continues to struggle. Uh, I'm glad he's healthy. I'm glad the wrist is taken care of and and he's going to come back, you know, and, and we'll see how he looks. But I watched more at bats of Zach Veens than anybody on this entire top prospect list. And you know what I saw? A lot of Jack tinkering and that's okay. But I saw lost tinkering and you can, you can, you can highlight the wrist issue. Maybe it was because he was trying to find what feels right with that wrist, uh, you know, kind of affecting him. But I mean, tinkering in the setup, tinkering in the timing mechanism, tinkering in where his hands were. And as a result, tinkering with, with legitimately his stride, that results in a lot more, I would say, inconsistencies in timing. And he looked rushed a lot. He looked really uncomfortable a lot. And then the last thing I'll say is we heard a lot about the power potential. I kind of was just digging back. We have not seen a lot of flashes of EVs. You know, the, the, the exit velocities have been a smidge below average. Uh, and, and that part is a little bit concerning to me as well. Yeah. Speed's been awesome. Stolen bases have been as advertised. But you know, who, who is this guy? You know, is he's not going to be the 30-30 guy that we thought. So now there's more pressure on the hit tool or there's more pressure on turning into a power bat. But we haven't really seen that many flashes of, of high-end exit velocities. Yeah, so I don't know. I He's in the right ballpark. He's in the right organization to kind of sap the power and turn into a gap-to-gap guy. Um, but you also need EVs to turn into the gap-to-gap guy. So I was, you know, like I'm obsessed with Zach. I love him because I was dreaming on the 110s off his bat. Mm-hmm. And we just haven't gotten him to this point. Um, you know, if it was a year and then we found out that he had wrist surgery, I can – you know, immediately say, oh, you know, we, we didn't get that because of the wrist thing. But at this point, it's been three years and we haven't gotten the EVs that anybody's dreaming on. Not even yeah. like a flash in the pan of that. So that's when you start to get concerned. Um, now, putting that aside, still, like even with the adjusted ceiling, if you compare everybody's 100th percentile outcome on this list, see one, two, I think Benny Montgomery has a higher ceiling. Really? Because Benny Montgomery, it's about 113 miles an hour. Yeah, but Veen steals 50 bags. Yeah, that is also true. But yeah, 100th percentile, because I feel like none of these guys are going to hit that. I was right. these two guys. Right. It, it, the, the point stands. It's up there. It's it's right there, right? It's He's also there. a 6'4 plus plus runner. The difference is Veen can't really stick in center, which hurts yeah. a lot too. But yeah, I mean, if Veen grows in, he's also shockingly skinny. I, I didn't realize like, there was a lot of open side swings where I'm like, he is skinny. And this come from a guy who's skinny. Like, don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to, I'm not, I'm not shaming. But like, it's, it's amazing how he's able to, to hit the ball even the way he does. Like he's, he is very wiry. So like, yeah. if he leans into, this is another guy, like I'm fine with the three true outcomes. I think at this point it might be better that, to, to lean into that. Because he has a decent approach, then like, hey, I'm going to magically make a leap to have an above average hit tool. Because if you're not putting up above average EVs, a fringy hit tool is not going to play. What's a fringy hit tool with slightly above average exit velocities and in a corner outfield spot? Oh, but he steals 50 bags. Like, okay, like it's a weird, it's a weird profile. So that's it. It's again, it's like shoehorning it a little bit into like, what is this profile? And I think it's you got to lean into the power or you got to make a massive stride in the bat to ball department. Yeah. And we'll see what's to come after the wrist issue. But I, I think this was probably the right time to say, okay, you know, we got to stop dreaming on him and we got to start assessing what we've seen 
and you assessed what you saw. And that's what dropped him to nine, which sucks because I still want to be in the dreamscape. Age 22 season, still time to dream. Uh, Again, he can come back stronger, more physical, and and things can really click. He's a special athlete. He's really, really, really talented. So I'm not giving up on Veen at all, but I'm becoming increasingly skeptical. And, you know, that's kind of where we're at with him. But hopefully he can, you know, fight his way up to the show sooner rather than later. Yeah. Number eight is Robert Kalaz. And I think people might be saying who and how, why is he ahead of Zach Veen? $1.8 million international free agent in 2023, the crown jewel of their class. The reason why I like Kalaz more at this point is I've kind of seen more of what Veen can't do. You know, like it's like what, what, what can and can't you do? Kalaz can stick in center. Kalaz can hit the ball harder. He's already flashed, you know, plus EVs, or at least the ability to grow into plus EVs. And I, th- I see a similar feel to hit. So there's some things he needs to clean up with the swing. By the way, he's, this was his age 17 season, put up monster numbers in the DSL. I don't care about the numbers. I care about the data and I care about the swing. I like the swing. He can get a little bit, a little bit spinny um, and kind of leave with his front side, but his barrel path is so good that he's still able to hit balls hard to all fields uh, and, and still catch balls. Well, uh, that the cleaning up, there's a little bit of just unnecessary move, right? Like he'll be kind of guiding forward before there's any barrel movement. You don't like to see that, but he's still so quick. He's able to get away with that at 17 years old. I don't care. That's super nitpicky. Uh, he hit a ball 113 miles an hour at 17 years old in the DSL with the ability to stick in center field. I, I had plenty of batted balls over 105. Again, there's some more room to add some strength to and great instincts in center field. I'd rather play this game and find out if Kolas can become what he looks like than than Veen, you know, deal with Veen at this point. And I don't know where you where you stand on that, but but that's why he's number eight. He's got five years on Zach Veen and he's already popped a one fourteen. So yeah. that's where I'm at. Like And he yeah. can stick in center. Yeah. So there we go, man. Um no, I mean the whole the whole intrigue of Veen and Benny Montgomery was what you can dream on. And we've now gotten a quick taste of what you can dream on with Kalas. So mm-hmm. yeah, like I, I love it. I'm obsessed with it. Uh, yeah. And we'll see, you know, what's to come from it. Obviously yeah. it's going to be a very long climb and he did this in the DSL, but man, a 114 is a 114. And there, there's a reason that, you know, Lazaro Montes is being floated in top 100 prospect lists. He's a teenager that hit a ball 119. Yeah. Like that's why. So and, you've got a kid that hit a ball 115 in a humid environment in the Dominican. Like, okay, let's see. And this. can stick in center too, right? Like yeah. they, again, like usually the guys that are hitting the ball hard in the DSL, like it's like Lazaro. It's like, where, where, okay, well, where do we stick? They're huge. Them? It's like they just hit puberty before <laughs> They're everybody. They're monsters. And you're yeah. just like, where am I sticking this kid? You got no questions there. Jordan Beck, uh, I kind of like oscillated on him like a lot. He, he's been a tough guy to rank. I've had questions like, oh, is he top 100? I don't think he's that. Uh, but I definitely think he's solidly above, you know, the the other 50 future value prospects. So he's kind of in between. He's like a 50 plus guy for me. And that's where we've got him. Yeah. Hit tool is going to be fringy. And, and I think that's kind of given. He starts closed, but he's athletic. He's quick to the ball and, and he, you know, covers his spots pretty well. Uh, I think he knows himself as a hitter. He knows that if you execute your game plan perfectly, you, you can you can probably beat him. But at the same time, if you make a mistake, he's not going to miss him. And he didn't miss many last year. It's plus raw power. He gets into it in games consistently by driving the ball in the air. He's an above average runner. He's a really solid defender in right and left field, capable of actually filling in and center in an absolute pinch. 
And he's a pretty close to finished product, which is good and bad. It's good because I think he can be big league ready relatively soon. It's bad because I don't know how much more there is to look forward to uh, in terms of just maybe the approach can be what kind of sets him apart and just continuing to walk more. But 30 to 35 hit tool, but with plus power and above average run and above average defense in, in both corners, that's that's a pretty good player, man. Um, and I was thinking like, Renfro's defense has become like kind of polarizingly and, and bad and, and he's faster, but like something from that, that cloth is what you can kind of look forward to. Right. I, I was trying to think of a player that plays above average defense, whiffs a bunch and, and hits, you know, hits pretty well in the corner. It's not the Gallo types. He's not like, it's not that kind of power. So it's something from the Renfro cloth. If, if he was a better defender, I would say is what you can look forward to with I'm more speed. So, yeah. The name that jumps to my mind is Jock, but Jock has more power. Yeah, and, and not as good of a defender. So it, it's a really interesting build. Jock, like, Jock was a good defender. Is he a good defender? I don't. He know. was in L.A. He was. He was. Yeah. It's an interesting profile, but not for the same reasons as the other ones where I kept using the word shoehorn. You don't have to shoot. This is a fun profile in a corner. And sure. th- this works. It's a fun profile in center, too. But uh, it's really just going to come down to the hit tool. Yeah, so I, I just went down the rabbit hole to 2022 Tennessee Volunteers, and I was like, okay, Beck was the best one on the best offense in college baseball in recent memory. But then you look at Drew Gilbert, and it's like, oh, well, Gilbert, OPS, you know, the 1,000 points, or uh, what, 100 points better than um, Jordan Beck did? Like, that offense was just ridiculous. But the fact that Beck was pretty much the feared one, and you could argue, hey, Trey Lipscomb was feared, Luke Lipsius was feared, Gilbert was feared. Now, nah, like Beck was the one that was physically menacing and Beck was always in the three hole or the cleanup spot. And he still put up in a thousand OPS and he still yeah. hit 18 homers. He is really good at just like meeting any pitch he gets. And frankly, he hasn't been seeing very many pitches since he was a sophomore in college. He might get one or two a game and he's put up the numbers to back up that he doesn't miss that pitch. And those are the guys that I, you know, really get drunk on the Kool-Aid with because they're, you know, like they've never really had the opportunity to work with zero expectations. This guy has been labeled as the guy since he was a sophomore in college and he's succeeded at every stop. Uh, Exactly. And and I think the ability to drive the ball in the air. And and I love what you point out about like being the guy that's game plan for in college, being the guy now professionally that was game plan for pitchers for, you know, preparing for for Jordan Beck, you know, like that at at both levels. And double A was a bit of an adjustment for him. 75% zone contact is going to be the question. You can get away with that with his EVs and with the way he hits the ball in the air and with the way he's able to walk. I need to see like that increased, you know, cut down on the chase rate. And that'll have him in a good spot, but it's already in a palatable spot. So I think the ceiling is somewhat capped, but the floor is kind of high for a guy that whiffs as much as he does, I, I think. And, and that's that's the interesting part of it. Moving on to number six. And this was hard because I know a lot of people are probably gonna be like, whoa, you have Cole Kerrig ahead of, you know, ahead of Jordan Beck after what he did last year. Yeah, because I, I think that there's a chance that Cole Kerrig can be uber dynamic and and super, super fun. Uh Think like Sedan Rafaela meets like a Tommy Edmond type is like what you can kind of dream on here. Carrig, second round pick, 2023. And again, I really think this was a fascinating class between Dolander, Carrig, and Sullivan. High risk, high reward here. But Carrig, switch hitter, 6'3, 195, can play center field at a high level, can play shortstop at a pretty high level, and can run. 
he changed his swing from San Diego State, and and it looks a lot better than it looked from there. I break into that in detail, so that's one where like for people's time, uh, like dive into that uh, if you get a chance in the link in the episode description because I really nerd out about the swing. I'll probably make a, a thread about it at some point. But the adjustments he made really cleaned up the path, really helped him with his ability to stay on his backside and not pound the ball on the ground. And I know you love guys, Jack, that put up better numbers in their first pro stint than they ever did in college. And that's exactly what Cole Carrick did with the new swing. Just give me the Bowman pitch, man. Come on. <laughs> like this is, this is the guy that you're obsessed with. I, I, I have nothing to add because he can be a really good center fielder and a really good shortstop and he's shown offensive improvements. And, you know, like I was trying to, you know, dissuade you from pushing a guy that I had never heard of to six in this system when Veen's at nine, then I was like, well, I have no rebuttal. It's like an old school when uh, James Carville is just staring at Will Ferrell after he went on like that out of body experience in the debate portion of that. And he's like, I have no response. I got, I got nothing. I got nothing. Yeah, man. I, I just really fell in love with the profile plus the swing changes. And um, I, I reached out to Pete Flaherty, uh, Baseball America, about it. Any guy that was recently drafted, I always touch base with Pete Flaherty because I'm like, am I crazy to be this excited about this guy this early? And Pete's like, no, dude, he really impressed me on the Cape. I really like what I saw with him. I love this Rockies draft class, too. Kerrig's going to have a 2023 Bowman uh, draft autograph. And, and I can promise you, if you are getting outbid on Cole Kerrig spots and breaks or uh, Cole Kerrig cards on the market, it's probably you know me. It is. I told yeah. you about that Xavier Isaac situation last year, and, and I know that a lot of people literally joked, like, oh, I think you, you, you snagged that Isaac from me. I'll be doing the same with Carrick. This guy threw a ball 100 miles an hour at the combine. Um, and again, moves well at shortstop, covers a ton of ground in center field. Think about the war accumulation from that point. He doesn't even have to hit that well. Look at Tommy Edmond. You don't have to hit that much. But the one thing I think has been off with Carrick is he, he – he never posted an exit velocity above 103, 104 with metal in college. He makes this change with his swing, two home runs, 108 plus, one home run that was 109. So that's with wood in professional baseball. So you make that adjustment, you tap into a different level of power. I mean, five mile per hour jump in max exit velocity with wood from metal is that's crazy, nuts. crazy. Yeah. And that shows you he's a freak athlete with crazy twitch that just wasn't using his body right and now is doing that. And you've got a guy that's capable from both sides of the plate of, I think, hitting 20-plus home runs, if it, if it all kind of comes together, at least 15 to 20. Uh, I think can hit for a decent average. We'll have to work on the chase rate a little bit. Uh, but great defense in center field and the ability to play short, like that's a really special, like unique profile and a fun player. So I'm all the way in. And again, one of the big reasons why I'll be buying Bowman 2023 draft, because I know people ain't, aren't going to be hunting the, uh, the Rocky spots, but I am, and I'm going to be ready for it. All right. Just be ready when you introduced an opponent. <laughs> yeah, literally. <laughs> now I got, I'm going to have people just coming after the same, the same uh, cards now. Uh, hopefully yeah. not. This is where I hope people don't take my advice too much um, because it hasn't come out yet. Yeah. Number five, Drew Romo. This is another interesting one because catcher who had a really rough stretch to start the season and then went nuts in the second half, you know, relatively, I think 860 OPS over his last 50 games. But in double A as a 2021 year old, I mean, it's really impressive switch hitter, elite defense. I feel like Pat Bailey walked so Drew Romo could run because 
I feel like that was a guy that people kind of slept on, right? Defensive oriented, myself included. Uh, Bat never totally was there, but he's a switch hitter that kind of puts Bat on ball. And then all of a sudden, we look at Pat Bailey, and yeah, it was up and down offensively, but he was a really valuable catcher this year for the Giants. I think Romo can be cut from the similar cloth. I think people were a little too quick uh, to to sour on him from the slow start and then kind of forgot about the fact that he really raked in 50 games at the double-A level. I like the swing. It plays. It's simple. It's contact-oriented. His problems is approach. Way too aggressive. Like, way, way too aggressive. Um, and, and not a ton of power. But he can flash just enough. He can be gap-to-gap. He can be an above-average hit tool guy. And if you're a plus-plus defender, I mean, count me in on that. I have no idea what to make of his long-term value because – is it Trevino? Is it Jonah Heim? <laughs> it's, it's really hard. And he had three homers until August, and then he had nine in like three games later. Um, I don't know. The question for me is power, game power. Is it 35 or is it 45? The difference between 35 and 45 for me changes my outlook on Drew Romo entirely. Because if he yeah. can be a, a 15 home run threat at Coors with really good defense behind the dish and like, you know, a K rate that's more than palatable. Sign me up for that, especially as a switch hitter. But man, like, I just don't know if 15's in the tank. Yeah. No. And I don't know either. And I think it might be closer to 10 and, and even 10, like sign me up for that. Uh, It's just my worry is five. If it's, yeah, my, that's my, and you see the swing though, for those that are watching on YouTube and it's like, that's 15. Yeah, that's, you know, that's he, he had a three home run game at Hartford, but a max of like 105, 106, like that can play if you lift the ball in the air and if you make better swing decisions. He's got to cut down on the chase and he's already doing a better job of lifting the ball in the air. The weirdest thing about Drew Romo is something I tweeted out. Yeah. It seems like he can't sync up both swings, even though they're almost identical. 2023 is a lefty. 831 OPS as a righty 539 OPS 2022 is a lefty 643 OPS as a righty 854 OPS 2021 is a lefty 861 OPS as a righty 558 OPS you imagine if he can just have these numbers be a little bit closer together that would probably help a little bit too it's interesting that he just struggles to maintain those two um those two sides throughout the throughout each year we're going to do the Yohan Moncada thing where he's going to be really good in odd years and he's going to be really bad in even years. And we just have to know which year we're getting from Romo. Yeah. That said, I think debut next year. And um, I think I think safe floor of a solid backup, but I think he should he should hit enough to be a, a regular and play great defense. I mean, sub two pop times, good arm. Yeah, it, it's, it's all good stuff. Really handles the staff well. I know pitchers love working with him. Speaking of great. pitchers. Number yeah. four, Chase Dolander. Um, we didn't get to see him professionally, so not too much more that we can add that we haven't talked about since like in the draft conversation and stuff like that. But talk about elite potential. Uh, you know, Rockies are hoping that they could just identify someone here that it doesn't matter where he pitches. It doesn't matter the environment. He's just going to shove. And, you know, he's got the goods to do that. It was very much a mechanical thing, I think, you know, in terms of you see the, the struggles with uh where he was the year before and where he was you know, this past season at, at Tennessee, where the fastball just didn't have quite the same amount of life, but still the same velocity. Um, the, the breaking ball, it just, it, it was a cutterish slider that just was not playing the same. He lost a little bit of sweep and it just wasn't quite as clean and a little inconsistent. And, and I think that was a big part of, of why he took a step backwards. And then the changeup just 
wasn't there consistency as well, like consistent wise as well. So you have the elite fastball, low release point kind of, it reminds me like Wheeler, uh, the way he throws that with decent extension and, and that low release. And it just takes off in the mid nineties up to 99. But the secondaries regressing was really it, you know, and, and I think it's something that he can find, you know, and that he may have found already in this off season, just kind of cleaning up the the delivery there uh, and finding what he had in 2022. Yeah. Um, I was, I was fully sold on the 2022 version of Chase Dolander. Uh, 2023, I'm still very much sold. I know that the numbers were doubled, but I want to ask you this question. Mid-season update. Do you think this guy's a top 100 arm? Yes, because I, I think, think he's so going too. to make mincemeat of lower level competition if they put him there. And I, I think, think so if too. he's in double A, he's going to pitch well in Hartford. I think, I think if they throw him in high A, we're going to see an athlete with a four pitch mix that nobody in high A sees. He's yeah. th- there's just something about each pitch in a vacuum. And I brought this up on the Just Baseball show earlier today, Yuri Perez. I was like, in a vacuum. I could make the argument that that pitch by pitch, like pound for pound, but pitch for pitch, he's a top five pitcher in baseball. And Dolander, I can stack him up against really any other pitching prospect in the game, and I can walk you through pitch by pitch and say, yeah. here's why his fastball is up against Skeens's. Here's yeah. why his breaking ball is up against Skeens's. Like, I, I just think that this guy pound for pound is one of the better pitching prospects in all of minor league baseball, and it's yeah. just a matter of seeing the stats back it up. Yeah, I, I I just didn't like the cutterish move, and yeah. I think again it was delivery oriented. And says he lost a little bit of sweep on it because when it had and, that sweep, we were talking about this real quick. We were talking about this before you know you, you even did the write up. Like he lost some athleticism in that delivery. Remember we yeah. were talking about his torso being more upright in twenty three than it was in twenty two. Yeah. But like where did almost he almost like go? he was guiding it? Uh, yeah. yeah. So it we was, just wonder where it went. Yeah, and I think leaning back into being an athlete and working downhill, like that could be scary. He might gain a tick. He he might, he might be looser. Like that's the thing. It could go both ways. So it was interesting that he kind of lost it. And I think they just didn't want to try to tinker too much in a draft year because he knew like he could do what he did. And as long as the stuff looked the same and he doesn't get hurt, he's going to be a top 10 pick. And he was. So, you know, why make any major changes then? But, you know, I think now in the off season, I'm sure he's been in a pitch lab kind of, working on some things. And I, I expect someone as athletic as him and talented as him to find it this coming year. And I expect him to be on the top 100 list. Uh, once we get to the early parts of, of next year, really fun, exciting arm sure. guy I saw plenty of in the AFL and I've, I've watched plenty of this year is Sterling Thompson ceiling may not be the highest in the world, but above average hit has flashed above average power is not the best defender, but he's, solid or at least average in a bunch of different spots. I saw him at second where he's probably best, but can get by in the outfield is continuing to develop there, uh, can play a decent third. I, I just love the high floor of above average hit, really clean swing from the left side. He's an average runner, but he's really instinctual and will snag bags and can move all over. He's just a really fun player that I just feel very safe with. I like where his bat kind of hangs out just when he's ready and then like the slow load back up, it's almost like he's getting more and more upright as the pitch comes and it results in balance. I'd be worried about him almost hunching over at point of impact, but that's not it. He's almost working in like reverse order. He gets like coiled. He gets like, it gets coiled and and comfortable and he's in a really good spot, but yeah, it's, 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 it's looks so loose, right? I'm just, I'm not sure if there's a pitch that will best him with that. Is there? 
if you blew him up inside, you could try, but he's so quick with his with his hands, right? That he can get up to anything. His feel for the barrel is what really impresses me. So like I think his goal is to feel loose and fluid and be adjustable. And that's exactly what he is. And if you miss middle in, like he's gonna hammer that. I think you could probably bust him in. And that's the, the way to try to get him is tie him up, up and in. But again, his hands work really well. He has a pretty good approach and he can spray the ball all over. What I loved is you miss middle in. He's going to hit it pull side in the air for a homer. But if you like kind of finesse at the outer half, he can just shoot the ball the other way. He's got a really good feel to hit. The ceiling is, again, like I said, limited. I think you can kind of dream on like a Benintendi type if it all comes together. Um, and I mean like the good Benintendi early on. Um, and, I love and I that. Think, that was a golden yeah. spikes winner. That guy yeah. was like, that guy was such an important piece to the Red Sox. They the were four, very five one player. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's what Sterling can be with a little bit more versatility. And, and you, you imagine he stretches that out more. I, I think that's, that's what Thompson can be. He's just missed on the top 100 list. He's still a 55 future value guy for me. So I love the slow early load, seeing the ball early like that and making a ton of contact. Those are guys I can just, I feel very comfortable with. And I think he's going to continue to get better against upper level pitching and he'll make his debut next year. And I think he will play well in those gaps, those big gaps in, in, in uh, Colorado. And he was in the same lineup as Wyatt Lankford. So success through osmosis. I'm in. Oh, that is very true. Uh, number two, Yankee L. Fernandez. Up and down season, but the ups were so fun that, you know, he's become a consensus top 100 guy. We've seen the arm, which is a rocket in right field. I think he's going to develop into an average defender. It's still like fringy now because I just think he doesn't focus all the time. Uh, yeah. But really fun player. If you're watching on YouTube, this gif is so fun. It's one of my favorite I've seen all year. I mean, just bat. He's I think he's become he's overtaken George Valera as the new king of bat flips in, yeah. in minor league baseball. I mean, exit velocity is a 114 mashes the ball in the air egregious chase rates. And that's kind of the question here. And that got exposed at the upper levels, but really, really high ceiling as one of the better power bats, potentially in the minor leagues, if it can all come together, 20 years old, left-handed with that much power, there's plenty to be excited about 90th percentile exit velocity of 107 last year. I'm just, I'm curious how he hits in Hartford across a full sample because he was not good in Hartford. 56 games, hit just over 200, OPS 620, um, struck out all the time. The the difference between Spokane and Hartford in nearly identical sample sizes was drastic. So I I need to see like something in the middle to know what we can settle on. Um, But this guy was an electric factory in Spokane. And I'm always signed up for an electric factory. The arm in right field and the power alone make me think this guy can be a Jesus Sanchez type. And I love that. I love, yeah, I love that comp. I, that, I think, did, did we have a conversation about that? I don't think so. Like, I, I thought we had a, I, did but we like, not remember when that? Jesus Cause... Sanchez in 2022 hit a ball 500 feet? It was at Coors and it went up to that like rooftop I... bar and grill. If we didn't talk about that, that's scary, dude, because I legitimately have had the same exact thought of this is like you're going to be so frustrated and so annoyed uh, at times, but he's going to just tease you and tease you and tease you. And then if it comes together and it kind of came together for Jeezy this past year with the Marlins, it's fun. And his margin for error is kind of wide because even if he – doesn't run into balls as frequently when he does it's gone it's legitimately yeah. gone when he, there's no oh i just missed that one 
there is no just miss for like if he gets 60% of a baseball, it's probably gone with the way that he's able to hit with loft. I love the Jesus Sanchez comp, and I think it's pretty much exactly what he is from the bat speed, from the approach, from like every single standpoint. And Sa- Sanchez very similarly climbed quickly and then yep. just it bought him so much more time to struggle in, in the big leagues. And I think that's exactly what Fernandez is going to do. Like struggle and, do- and, and he struggled yeah. in double A too, but they got there so quick. It gave him some time to struggle in the upper levels, got acclimated, then gave him some time to struggle in the big leagues. He'll probably debut at 21-22 and, again, have some time to kind of work through it. It might take till he's 24-25 for it all to come together, but if it does, you could see 40 pumps. Yeah, and quick thing on the on the uh, outfield defense. like I understand that the reads and the range may not be great, but if there's a ground ball hit to right field and there's a guy at second base, they're going to think two, three times quickly about running on that arm. It's a disgustingly yeah. strong arm. So there's defensive value there. And he's athletic enough. Like he can, yeah. it's, 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 again, it's kind of like a focus thing. And, and you'd be surprised. It really, it's a long season, man. It's a long season to try to convince these guys. They, they're, they're, they're not getting DRS grades. They're not getting OAA grade. You know, like they're not getting advanced metrics to show how good their defense is. Sure, scouts and field coordinators are watching that, but not all 140 whatever games. So, you know, I think there's a level of, I want to see this guy dialed and, and really locked in and really focus on the jumps. I think it can become, you know, oh, wait, actually, there is, look at that. I, I forgot. Oh, wow. It's at the write up. Okay. That's crazy. Perfect. That's crazy. Um, I know that's the one you didn't edit because this is one that has been in there for a while because Yankiel was was. I skimmed through up. it, so I probably I probably just had it like stored in the back of my brain and I forgot. I was I you were bugging me out for a second. I'm like, because I've I've had this thought. Like, have I not told you this? That's that's good though. I love I love that we're on the same page with that one though because, dude, he, it's. Do you, what do you think about that type of profile though? Like, is that I think is it's that valuable? One, it is. But you know what makes it more valuable? The defense. And so it's going to be – I think the defense is sneakily going to be a big part of, you know, proving that he can be an everyday player at the highest level. Yeah. As weird as that sounds. But also cutting down on a chase rate of 40% nearly. Yeah, what, that, that'll, that'll help too. And, and Jesus Sanchez finally did that this past year. Right. Number one, not much suspense here. Like, dude, the more I think about it, the more I just am so bought in on this dude that it's crazy. And I feel like every time we put out the top 100 list, I'm like, I should have put him higher. And I think I should have put him higher. But he struggled a little bit after coming back from injury. And I don't really care, though. So I I should have put him higher, probably. Adel Amador. Like, what's what's the issue with this guy? What's the hole you're going to poke? He's a plus plus hitter. He's I I honestly think I need to tweak the, the raw power. Like, it's tough because. He, he is a 90th percentile guy that's average, but I've seen him hit home runs 110 miles an hour. He doesn't need to be that guy, but it's in his bag. Like there, There's power there, but he's also the best bat-to-ball guy in the minor leagues, I think, for my money. So it's, you don't want to tr- see him try to empty the tank and take mammo hacks, but if you got a 110 in there, I want to see a little bit more of that. We we have a, a home run 110.5 from the right side. And then we have a home run 109 from the left side this past year. Like, I want to see a little bit more of that. that that's 20 home run potential. But at the same time, he's a 90 plus percent zone contact guy. He's a sub 20% chase rate guy. He's hit for average at every single stop. What What is the final product of Adeo Amador? 
it's a guy that can lead the National League not only in hits, but can lead the National League in doubles at that yeah. ballpark. Um, it's a guy that can possibly lead the National League in triples at that ballpark. And it's a guy that will never have to be uncomfortable defensively because he is only a year behind Ezekiel Tovar. And Tovar is the shortstop of the future for the Rockies. Amador is the second baseman of the future for the Rockies. Yeah. And I don't think that they need to shove Amador at shortstop. I don't think that they need to do it because you have a guy like Carrig or a guy like Ryan Ritter that can fill in if Tovar ever goes down. Amador can just be a second baseman. He can be an Altuve thing where like, oh, well, you have to put Dubon there. Like Altuve is never going to play short on a day. He doesn't play second. He's just a second baseman moving forward. Um, listen, if, if I can get a guy that flirts with a hit title at second base, I, I think that's a top prospect in, in an organization. I think that's exactly what you have in Amador. You know what blows my mind, though, dude, is what's the one thing that like I, we always talk about with like high-end contact guys? What do they tend to do? Ground. Yes, that's one. And what's the other one? They feel like they can get to everything. Chase. <laughs> yes. yes. So ground is, a, is somewhat of a problem for him, but you can get away with that as a high-end hit tool guy. Amador doesn't chase. Yeah. And I'm not used to that because it's also weird looking at a video of ourselves as we talk, by the way, (laughs) I'm looking at a pop up on the website, but Amador runs a chase rate of 19% for a guy with a plus. I I don't, I would, I need to do a query, by the way, this is on me. I should have done this before. I I can almost guarantee that the list of players with a 90% or higher zone contact and a chase rate below 20%, there's a legitimate chance that it's just Adel Amador and if it's not just Ade Amador, I guarantee it's a very, 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 very short list. So I, I think that part of it really elevates the floor. And then you, you mentioned that the flashes of pop, that part really makes me excited. It's just about getting the ball in the air a bit more. Uh, you know, the, the ground ball rate's been in the mid-50s. Uh, but at that same notion, you can get away with that when you're this good of a hit to a guy and you hit the ball sneaky hard and find the gaps uh, when, when, you, when you do get it in the air. But Amador, for me, top 10, probably top 10 prospect in the game. You know, if he had a full healthy season, he could could arguably be top five. Came back, struggled off the, off the injury. Um, and I, I just think he wanted to get back to try to stay on that 2024 debut track. I still think he's on the 2024 debut track. And, um, man, if they gave him a chance early in the season, I think he could be a rookie of the year dark horse. But I just I don't think they're going to give him a chance that early. But you never know. You never know. Any final thoughts on the Rocky system before we call it for the day? It is. Uh, it's, I think, one of my favorite systems in the game. It's one of the more exciting systems in baseball. And we were wearing the same hat when we got on Zoom, and you told me that I had to take it off. So, Oh, don't, don't blow up my spot like that. I said I'll put mine backwards. You can keep yours forwards, and that's okay. But Whatever. Oh, you're making me seem like an asshole. Uh, I appreciate it. Thanks for, I mean, we knew the Rockies was going to be a little bit longer. Um, always has to be just too many conversations to be had on each of these prospects. Are we going to stick with the NL West or are we going to bounce around a little bit? I'm going to let call, you know. It's your call. You're the boss here. Dodgers the scheduling next? boss. Do we want yeah. to do Dodgers? Yeah, we want to do. Then we got to just finish the NL West. We'll just go with division by division. Folks, okay. we will continue to go division by division. Any other fun programming notes for this week? We are going to highlight much of the checklist. And then, can, again, we're going to be talking about Bowman draft all, you know, all 
pretty much month long and, and going into next month as well um, and, and be doing some cool giveaways, interactive stuff. So look forward to that uh, and, and definitely stay tuned on the call up Twitter, on my personal Twitter and you know, for, for some more tops related giveaways and information and content. What do we have to look forward to? What's the next episode, Jack? Have we undecided? Nothing uh, yet. Undecided, undecided right now. Um, we're doing mm-hmm. break, uh, breakout hitters and pitchers on the Just Baseball show. We did breakout uh, mm-hmm. hitters. Um, we could do an AFL season recap if you want to. Yeah, I did a little bit of that already. We'll do maybe a dive into. I've got a 2021 some- redraft scheduled. Ooh, okay. So I can promise you some fun stuff coming forward. We're either going to do a redraft. We're either going to talk. I, I also some some KBO NPB guys. I think could be fun to, to dive into a little bit more um, yep. on the top free agents. And then I think a full dive into the 2023 Bowman draft class and and breaking that down a little bit too. That'll do it for this episode. Look forward to talking prospects with you a couple more times this week. We may have a prospect interview on the way as well this week. Uh, A few different names that could be very fun to have on the show. So look forward to that. As always, thank you for listening. Look forward to talking prospects with you later this week. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.